Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast, your weekly dose of all things football, tactics, and coaching related. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and we have another exciting episode for you all today. As Total Football Analysis constantly grows, so do our writers, who are always looking to bring you up-to-date content that you wouldn't find anywhere else in the world. From monthly magazines to weekly pieces on the site, and even here on the TFA podcast, our objective is to grow your knowledge of the game by analysing and speaking to the best coaches and players in the game. With an amazing team of writers behind the scenes, this is made possible every single day. However, sometimes our writers are so good they're unfortunately poached by professional football clubs and have to say goodbye to us. But on the TFA alumni mini-series of this podcast, we welcome them back to speak to us about their life in the professional game. So far, we spoke to David Cellini, who is currently the assistant coach of IFK Varnamo in Sweden's top flight division, and also Max Bergman, who became the youngest ever person to coach a professional game in Germany. Today, we speak to yet another former TFA analyst as part of the alumni series, and that man is Marko Jovic. For the past three years, Marko has worked as a scout with Serbian Superliga side FK Radnik Sudelica. Having left his role as of two weeks ago, Marco kindly joined us on the podcast today to discuss the life of a pro scout, something we haven't had on the show yet, and so I was incredibly excited to speak to him. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and make sure to give us a five-star rating on your choice of audio platform if you learn a thing or two today, as it helps to grow the podcast and push it out to as many people as possible. So now, let's go speak to Marco. Hi, Marco. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. How are you? I'm brilliant. Thank you for asking me to come. It's my pleasure to be here. I was very looking forward to having you on. And you're one of several former TFA analysts who have gone on to work professionally in the game. Could you tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you got into scouting with Rednick? Um, it's an interesting story. I started writing for TFA in... February of 2019, I think, and that's where it all started. I wanted to stay in football because I played in an academy level, but I got injured a lot. And But my path was in a way that I wanted always to stay in football and to pursue a career in that field. So scouting and some analytical work was a way to go in that moment. I got a lot of experience through TFA. I wrote a lot for magazines and also on website. And in the summer of 2020, I got a chance to, or it was 2019, but it doesn't matter. But I got a chance to go into an online competition, some kind of three-level assessments, competition between different sorts of internet analytics uh, analysts sorry and i passed all the tests for radnik and jumped into volunteer scout position at the moment in the club and as the time went by i went up in hierarchy and became a senior scout for the first team with a lot of analytical work in professional football. So let's take a little trip back a few years ago then. Was there a specific moment you remember thinking to yourself that you wanted to go into scouting or you wanted to work behind the scenes at a football club in general? You know, or or was scouting something you wanted to you didn't want to go into maybe you wanted to be a player. You said there you worked at or you 
were in an academy was it kind of the injuries you kind of just realized okay maybe i'm better off going into you know the behind the scenes work yeah i think every kid that goes to play football like from the youngest age wants to become a professional footballer and same was with me i lived and breathed football since i was born because my father was a professional player and all that was happening in my house was just football 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 so once i realized that i won't become a footballer because of first of all quality and then injuries uh, i just wanted to stay as close to football as possible my main idea in that moment and in this moment in time was to become a coach and i'm giving my best to become a coach and i saw the analyst and then scouting opportunity for me as a step closer to becoming a professional in football and also a step closer to becoming a professional coach since i'm going to have a lot more contacts a lot more knowledge and a lot more experience sorry before we go into the kind of more in-depth about your role as a scout and even as a coach which which of the two do you prefer doing and which is your more your passion and why my passion is completely coaching i wanted to become a coach maybe when i was a player because i was a captain of plenty of generations and i used to love the moment when i need to speak to other players telling them do this do that so i i think coaching is in my genes and that's why that that's my uh, priority i think but scouting came close to my heart in this three years of experience i have so let's see where it goes Mm. i think that's the best answer and you did both roles but how do they feed into each other how have they how has your role as a coach and a scout helped kind of each role together when you've done them my uh, my scouting role helped me a lot to become a better coach i still have a lot to learn but i think i became better because i was a scout at the moment i was working as a coach in this moment okay of course because you need to know all the things your players need to do in the field and i watch them doing and repeating different stuff in games and on a professional level and once i saw all the players do some things in professional games i knew what i need to do with my under 15s back home in order to make them progress you know and vice versa the the moment i started coaching helped me a lot in watching games as a scout because uh, when you're a coach you need to watch whole game as a whole you know as one unit and when you see some player exceeding your expectations or being worse than the others you can easily know what is happening and you can easily say uh, yeah that's the player i'm gonna go with or 
that's a player that can be potentially interesting to my club and so on. So let's talk about now you're, you, you worked as a scout for, for Radden for I think it was three years and three months or just, just about yeah, that. Yeah. Talk to us about some tips of the trade really, you know, in terms of what kind of, what kind of methods would you use to scout a player and did, you know, how would you present to the board or to the manager, et cetera, things like that? We've done a lot of different things. Uh, in my three years in club, fourth season has started this season. But we tried all the different models, trying to find what is the best one. Firstly, we were, just to add a little bit of context, the main source of our scouting was Prva Liga Serbia, which is a second tier mm-hmm. of in Serbia because of a budget that Radnik had and all the other stuff that don't need to be said, but they are contextual. Prva Liga Serbia was our focus. And firstly, we started working one scout watching one team per whole season. And my my objective was to watch one team in Prva Liga Serbia for six months and at the end of that period to report to my head of scouting and say, yeah, there's a player named Marko Jovic, Adam Scully, and those guys were brilliant. We should take an, take an in-depth analysis of them and see if they could fit our team. That's just first six months. After that, we entered a Corona year. Mm-hmm. So it was 2019 when I started, sorry. 2020 was a Corona year where we had a lot of time because we are in quarantine and just sitting in front of our laptops working throughout the whole day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when we got a lot of more obligations, not just one team, but uh, one scout was obliged to watch, I think, five teams or six teams. It doesn't matter what's the number, but you had your work multiple, like five or six times, and you had the time for it. At the end of initial period which was about three or four months i think two three four months doesn't matter uh we would go cross scouting i would scout the teams my best friend scouted my colleague i don't i don't know but that's how it happened and at the end of the scouting period we went into the transfer market with short list of names that had about 20 names max and that was in the first year probably one of the most organized years in the club because the model was the best in the second year we entered uh, like a well-oiled machine because Corona time had us prepared for all that we needed to do in the second year. And we just went with the same model into the 
autumn and uh, winter half season. So we went with one scout, scouting five teams in Prva Liga Serbia. Okay. And every single scout that was obliged to scout five teams had three or four people underneath him that could help him scout these teams. So one team was scouted by at least five guys for the amount of three months, I think, two or three months. At the end of three months, every team, lower level team like me and my guys, mm-hmm. need to, needed to come up with a shortlist that had five, 10, 25, 100 names on it that said, okay, let's cross out these guys and then my team cross-scouted the guys from other groups and my groups my group's players were scouted by other groups and that's to get a fairer image of the player is it if you all if yeah you, yeah if you because scout them. it would be too subjective if yeah. only my group was doing the scouting for one player mm. uh, the best thing that happened was the winter transfer window, which resulted in a couple of additions that led to become that went to become uh, starters in first team and so on. But at the end of cross scouting, we had panels where head of scouting and leaders of the scouting groups, myself included. Uh, went to discuss about the players. Like we had Adam Scali, Marko Jovic at the CM position. So head of scouting asked, why would you go with Adam Scali? Then group of scouts went and praised Adam Scali, said he was the most beautiful guy in the world. And then Markovic's group would say, nah, he can't get ladies, you know. And that was just what happened and what brought the best players to the club. Because even though we had a lot of discussions, a lot of dissimilarities in our approaches, a lot of uh, different solutions for a problem, we didn't always want the same player, but at the end of the day, uh, best players came to our club. And that was probably the best window we had because we were so well-oiled and so well-prepared for everything. You know? Was it difficult to deal with the, I don't want to say rejection, but I suppose it's the only word I can think of right now. Was it difficult to deal with the rejection of when you've scouted a player so extensively that then the kind of manager might say, well, he's not for us. And then you kind of, you feel like all that work was almost wasted. You know, it's always difficult to deal with it because it happens that when you analyze or scout a player for quite a long time, I had players that I scouted for about two years. Mm -hmm. And I was certain for some in terms that they should come to play for Radnik for about a year and a half. And it was frustrating that it wasn't possible. It wasn't possible, not because of the people above me, not 
because of the coach, not because of the team that we had, but because of a hundred different reasons player has that he doesn't want to play for us, you know. And it's so frustrating at times, but you uh, get used to it. You you manage to cope with it because you're a professional, you know, mm-hmm. and you only need to do your job. And what are, what are some great qualities you look for then in a player? And I'm not, and I'm not speaking specifically about their actual technical skills or their intelligent on or off the ball. I'm actually talking about maybe some behavioral things you look for. You know, do you look for a player's attitude on the pitch? Do you look for how aggressive they might be, etc.? We were looking for a whole picture. Firstly, we would analyze uh, physical abilities of a player, all the physical speeds, tackling abilities, strength, etc. And then we would go and analyze technical and tactical abilities. And the last thing we'd do would be analyze him mentally. That's the tricky part because once you're a video scout, because in the time of Corona, you couldn't be able to go and see games live. Mm-hmm. So all the work was done through platforms since that, Scout and so on. So you could easily miss, miss the mental image of a player because you can only see his aggression, his gesticulation, his uh, lack in focus, I think, sometimes. But not the whole picture once at least not a picture that you need to see when you watch the games live, you know. And how important, if important at all, or if used at all, was data to your search for players? Mm, Serbian scouting isn't... I'd imagine that's, there was. I'd imagine there was still stats maybe on Wisecout or Insta. But... Isn't that data dependable? I think mm-hmm. we have a we had a data department that tries to pull some numbers and help us. But eye test was the main for Radnik at the moment, and I think it still is. What are some of the the best things you learned throughout your three years at Radnik? Mm-hmm. The best things I learned, probably the kind of key life lessons, maybe, are like <laughs> whether if it's related to scouting that like you'll always take professional with you. football is harsh. <laughs> That's probably the the main thing I learned, and you you're only worth as much as your results are good. So it doesn't matter if you're a scout, if you're a coach, if you're anything else. Uh, you're as good as your last result. If you won five games in a row and then lost next one one nil, you're as good as that one nil. That that's probably the main thing I learned in professional football. But I learned also that it's very very interesting to do on the highest of levels 
and that you need to be so punctual and that you need to be meticulous, look for every single detail, detail-oriented, I think, in order to progress and in order to do something good. Not best, but even if you want to do only good things, not highest flows, you need to be detail-oriented. And from when you started to when you finished, how did your knowledge of scouting and watching players, etc., change? You know, what methods did you use to develop your knowledge? Did you do courses or maybe you do some very good scouts already at the club that you learned from? Both things, I think. I went to courses. I listened a lot of online webinars, especially in the Corona time, since plenty of them were free and you could go on and watch Jesse Marsh for two hours, like speaking about everything he knows to some random dudes like Mark Rioch, you know, and that was the beauty of internet, I think, at the moment. And it still is because you day in, day out have a lot of interesting things to find, TFA first of them all, because you can read daily brilliant analysis from brilliant analysts, scouts, coaches, etc. So that was probably the main source of my uh, knowledge uplifting. But on the other hand, I had luck to work with the guys I work with, especially head of scouting Srijan Savic, head of scouting Damian Jorgic, who had helped me a lot, and sporting director Darko Gasic, who was always there for us. And those were the guys that helped me the most in my journey as a scout in Serbia. They, in some way, opened my eyes to see how is the footballing community in Serbia? And I, I learned a lot from them and I learned a lot from internet sources. What advice would you give somebody starting that wants to go on to become a scout at a professional club? I'd Just like say, pretend you were giving advice to yourself from six years ago. Uh, I'd say to, um, two words. Be patient. Good advice. Um, be patient and always look for more. Try to find that detail that will make the change. Try to uh, get that two letters that will make you a better scout. Try to uh, engage with a lot of people that know your job better than you do so you can get the experience from them and so you can get a big better scout coach i don't know pastry chef <laughs> and what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced you know during your three years as a scout because i'm mm -hmm. sure there were a lot of challenges and i'm sure covid was obviously one because you would have had to stay home a lot more but just in terms of actually working at a professional club which as you said is it, professional football is very harsh and I mean it is you see um, you see managers all the time especially in, in the Premier League or whatever I think in the 
the English football pyramid out of the top 92 teams, 12 have already been sacked and it's only September. Yeah. You know, so it's an incredibly harsh game. So what are some of the key challenges you learn from your time in professional football? Maybe the main challenge I needed to go with every single day was the context of Serbian football and the context of modern football. I see myself as a progressive football worker to to say to say it like that because I'm a scout and a coach. Mm-hmm. And all my ideas are shaped through modern ideas coaches have, modern footballing ideas that are familiar to people watching Serie A, La Liga, Premier League and so on. And, but the football in Serbia is shaped differently. It's underdeveloped. I think it's uh, a little bit more traditional and a little bit more rough than it's the modern European football. And that was the first obstacle for me because I needed to be more flexible and to adapt to the context I'm in and to, I think, a little bit forget the brilliant part of modern European football in order to be better in the rough Serbian football. Serbian football is more based on physicality and constant duels, constant Mm -hmm. uh, tackles and so on, rather than passing, possession-based, oriented football, you know, and... I think positional play, in my opinion, won't come to Serbia in the next three, four, five years. It's a really good point you've made because I live in the Republic of Ireland and I watch, I I mean, I go to watch my local side, Shelbourne. Uh, Damien Duff, actually, the former Chelsea, he's the manager, but when I watch them, it can be incredibly frustrating at times because the quality is quite poor and as you said, it is very physical. It's duels based as opposed to, you know, there's no, it's not possession based football. It's quite long ball, win the second balls, Sunday league kind of classic stuff. But I have to remind myself when I watch the games, and I'm actually counting to watch them tonight, but I have to remind myself this isn't, I'm not watching Thiago Alcantara. You know, I watch, I watch him for, say, Liverpool, or I watch um, the Christian Eriksen or Martin Odegaard or, or Jorginho, and I see these incredible technical footballers. And then I go to the local club and I see a player who can't control a ball on the half turn and it's it's mind blown. So it is uh, a fantastic point you bring up. I want to ask you about uh, just a, probably one or two more questions about the scouting. When you were scouting players, and obviously you you would have had they they have to fit into the team because ultimately when they sign up, the the manager is looking for specific types of players. But were you given like almost a, a a dossier of of the overall playing profile of the team, or did you just have to kind of watch them yourself and go, okay, I, I, they might need this? Mm, well, we had obligation to watch first team matches because we needed to know how the first team plays. And our reality was that we changed a lot of coaches during my time in Radnik. So there wasn't a manual on how you'd like your team to play. There was a different coach every season, at least. 
that would come and bring some new ideas. So you as a scout uh, would need to be prepared for it and you need to see it for yourself in order for you to do a better job. You know? How did you prepare for that? Because I'd imagine this is actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about the managerial changes and new managers will come in, you'll have scouted this, say, this player uh, extensively and then because you think that the last manager wants him and he gets sacked, new guy comes in, or sorry, not sacked, but say parts ways for whatever reasons, new guy comes in and he says, this player, no, I'm not, I don't want this guy. I want this type of player. How frustrating is that? And how do you prepare yourself for that kind of environment where you can't really say anything because ultimately it's, you know, you can't say, no, yeah, you're signing him. Obviously he's the manager. You know, you need to be professional about it. And it all starts with you getting to know what your coach wants. And that journey for me always started in the period where we were searching for a new manager because we were always somewhat involved in the decision-making about who will be the, the next coach. So we got ourselves prepared by watching past games, teams of that coach played in different leagues, you know. So we knew his ideas even before he came to the club and said, okay, I want to play this, 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 and this. And once he came to the club, we already knew what we don't need to say. We, what we don't need to offer to him in order to make his life easier and also our lives easier. Mm -hmm. Because if I, for example, brought, you know, Simeone to Radnik Surdulica and offered him... Mm, I think, the club got, I think the club would go bankrupt. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Tiago Alcantara. And he'd go, okay, he is a brilliant player, but he probably isn't mm -hmm. the player I, I'd like to coach. So we saved time for ourselves and for the coach and just tried to go on and offer the players that we think could be fit for his system. And that's what happened most of the time, like 90% of the time. There were there were some players that were like 10 percenters that would be good for all the systems and that were above the level we need in Radnik. Mm -hmm. So we should 100% go for them. No matter who the coach was, just it, it just made sense to go for them, you know. So you've left your role now as a scout with Radnik. What's your next what's your next plan of action? I don't know. I think I should most definitely try and pursue new scouting role. I think I'm ready to progress to uh international leagues mm -hmm. because uh, I had a lot of good experiences in Radnik and I'm certain of my knowledge and uh, I'm sure that I can help clubs on a higher levels than Radnik is at, at the moment. And that's probably what I will try to find in the next couple of months. I hope not years. <laughs> <laughs> 
what is the the difference sorry i i know i'm going back to scouting a bit but i actually uh, there was a question I, i'd written down that i wanted to ask what, what is the main difference then between scouting from home and say why scout or insta and then scouting in person at an actual game what kind of benefits do obviously scouting from home on the on your laptop has a lot of benefits too because it's much easier ultimately but scouting in person must have its benefits also surely it has plenty of benefits because you see more and you hear more sometimes a good scout needs to listen to the people he's sitting next to because once you go to the match and you're looking for a player let's call him number six and number six is a brilliant player when you see him on instat he has brilliant technical abilities he knows how to position his out the ball action is brilliant etc but you're seated next to some random dude that wears number plate no, no, number six's tracksuit and you hear from him like he's a moron <laughs> <laughs> you know that won't change your opinion about number six but you're going to dig into it and see why this guy thinks that number six is a moron you know and five out of ten times the guy makes sense and the guy is right so you get something that you can get from instats or wise code that's interesting i never actually thought of that. i like that so now you're you're still you're still coaching yourself what kind of you know what are your ambitions with coaching because you told me earlier in the podcast that you prefer coaching over scouting i'd like to become a coach of chelsea i think my, i like it my ambitions are the highest ones you know one day i'd like to go on and coach in the highest leagues and i believe that the day i come there I'll have all the knowledge I need to have. And I believe I'm on the right path at the moment. And you're doing your coaching badges at the minute. You said you wanted to go on and do your your UEFA B license. Yeah. yeah, How have you found the coaching badges so far? I'm currently on UEFA B. I'm finishing it in Mm -hmm. a couple of months. So I'm 25 at the moment. And I think it's all right for me in this moment. What? have you learned from doing scouting courses that you maybe wouldn't have learned doing the UEFA say B license you learn to be more player oriented at scouting courses you need to you learn to be more detail oriented to watch for every single detail like how the player runs how he speaks to the referee how he acts when the ball is out of the play those little things are what make the difference in scouting and that's what you learn throughout scouting courses whereas the UEFA B license would be more generalized to the team and the coach I'm guessing yeah yeah, yeah. UEFA B license is all about the coaching and all about how you would become a better coach like creating practices, 
man managing the team and so on, you know. So let's do a creative exercise for a second. Say Marco Jovic is the new manager of Chelsea. How are Chelsea playing? Chelsea are playing possession-oriented games, something similar to like mixture of the Zerbies teams and Thomas Tuchel's teams. Mm-hmm. Something like that. It's not about the formations, but about the principles. I like to call my football break possession because you need to be brave under pressure. You love to invite pressure to you and you love to play on tight areas of the pitch in order to open bigger areas behind the opponent's backs. Mm-hmm. That's somewhat similar to what the Zerbi was doing in Sassuolo and yeah. also Shakhtar. And what have you doing now, Brighton? I, I think he will. And from Tuchel, I, I took, I think, the positional part mm-hmm. of, of the game because my teams are very position-oriented and it isn't about the positions as it is about the roles. Every player on the pitch needs to understand his role and needs to fulfill it 100%. And it looks interesting when you watch us play. That's only my subjective, highly subjective opinion, but I love the game, the, the game my, my guys play. The last question I want to ask you, Marco, before we wrap up is because I'm aware we're, we're actually over 40 minutes now. So apologies. My, my time keeps It's skills, not yeah, a problem. It was my pleasure. It was my pleasure. Well, thank you. That's amazing. So who are your coaching inspirations then? This is a question I love to ask everyone that comes on the podcast because it's just, I mean, I don't even know if the listeners like the question. I, I like it personally, so I want to know. My biggest coaching inspiration is my dad. I think he... He's, you said he played professionally. Yeah, yeah, but he's now a low-level coach. Lack of ambitions, I think, but it doesn't matter. He he was the best coach I played for, and he had a lot of similar principles I had like 10 or 15 years ago. So I just went with it and brought something of mine in order to become better coach than him, you know. And from professional football, I think we should step aside from football. My second biggest role model was and is still Željko Bradović, who is a basketball coach currently at Partizan Belgrade. He was a multiple EuroLeague winner and... He's probably the best man manager in all the sports. Something similar to Jose Mourinho, you know, who is in that terms my other role model because of his attitude, uh, man managing abilities, you know. And football wise, that would be Deserbi. Uh, Bielsa, of course, and Thomas Tuchel. I think that the basketball coach answer was the most interesting answer I've ever got to that question. I really liked that. And it was actually up there where I asked um, 
Giovanni Costantino, who used to be Hungary's assistant manager at the Euros last season. I asked him who his coach inspirations were, and he said the the Colombia manager in 1990. That blew me away because it was just so obscure. And he's Italian, so I just thought it was very strange. But I like that answer too. It was amazing. Marco, thank you so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed this podcast, and I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you, Adam. I hope all the guys that are going to listen to this will enjoy it. I hope you all enjoyed the episode today. I know I certainly did. Marco was a truly, truly lovely guy. And he was very open and honest about his role with Radnik Sardelica and about how he scouted players and the process, the challenges, the, the benefits of in-person scouting compared to scouting on Y Scout and Insta. And as well as his, his ambitions for the future. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. You can find Total Football Analysis on Twitter at Total Analysis. And you can find myself on Twitter at AceCuddy24. Don't forget to leave us a rating, please. It would be much appreciated so we can push it out to as many people as possible. I'll see you all again next week for another very exciting episode of the podcast. Goodbye for now.